0: All right. The church says amen. 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 All right. Thank you guys for amazing music and for the worship this morning. I want to welcome you guys here this morning. It is our celebration of freedom here in America. I I love that song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. I remember as a, and I can't remember that far, by the way, as an elementary student that we memorized that song and sang it at we used to have patriotic programs at school for the community and invite the community to come and all the little third, fourth, fifth graders and sing these patriotic songs. And so we memorized a lot of that. As a matter of fact, at Christmas time, we memorized a lot of Christmas songs, hymns, and sing at the programs too. And so, I, you know, I thank God that uh, I was brought up in a community that was steeped in uh, patriotic beliefs and religious beliefs as well. I think it helped ground the person that... Uh, I grew in to be, and so very thankful for those opportunities and privileges. And we only experience that in a free country like America. Uh, John mentioned about trips to Europe, you know, as we've gone uh, many years to Romania. I remember the first few years that we went to Romania, uh, it wasn't that far removed from their independence, and they came out from under communism. They were a satellite country of the Soviet Union, and had a dictator uh, by the name of Ceausescu, who was uh, a horrible human being, uh, oppressed the people uh, in uh, untold and horrific ways. And when they began to experience freedom and what that meant uh, to their life, it was incredible to see uh, the life of the spirit of that nation step forward into uh, what it's developing now. Freedom does that to people. Uh, it gives us liberty to be who we are, who God created us to be, and to follow uh, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in doing so, I want you to turn in Scripture to First Peter chapter 2, because the Bible is God's source of liberty. Uh, the Word of God says, where the Spirit of the Lord, there's liberty. There is liberty, and so, certainly the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, brings us a sense of liberty. And so this morning, I want you to see with me in 1 Peter, uh, this idea of some things that are commendable. Uh, We need to commend things that are commendable in our culture today. Things that have value and worth ought to be recognized and honored. And so we certainly as Christians ought to be at the forefront of honoring those things that are commendable. Now, Peter uses this word a couple of times in the passage that I want to read for you. And the word, it's kind of unique in the sense that this word that he uses is commendable. If you begin to dig down in what it means in the Greek language, it's a word that also shares the same root word as the word grace does. So this idea of being commendable is something that expresses grace. Certainly as children of God who've experienced the grace of God, we ought to be people that want, want to reflect God's grace in our life. In other words, we ought to be people who would want to share through our experience, through our everyday life, things that are exemplified by the grace of God. We ought to be reflections of the Lord Jesus Christ over and over in Scripture. We're called to live as examples amazed, not amazed, but uh, I'm happily pleased that the Apostle Paul would challenge us to look at his life as an example. And so when we think about that, then the question for you and I often is, can people look at our life as an example? Are we examples of grace? Are there things about us that people look at and say, hey, that's commendable, or that's an expression of grace, or that's a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ? We ought to strive for those things. Uh, being submissive and obedient, conformable, teachable by our Lord Jesus Christ are all ways that we can be expressions of God's grace. And so Peter gives us a few things, uh, and let me just say this is a short list of things that are commendable. There's many more in the Bible if you want to look at those. Uh, But when we begin to think about some of these things, maybe it will give you an appetite to even dig further in Scripture and find those things that God commends. Those things that he sees that have value, that he lifts up in the character of his children. And so, follow along with me, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to begin at verse 18. And I'd like to read for you through verse, to the end of the chapter, verse 25. And you'll see that word commendable a couple of times in this passage. And we'll note from that those things that are subject to this idea of being commendable. Follow along with me, if you would, at Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if, you, uh, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you were, are beaten for your own faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, that is commendable before God." For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Bow with me if you would this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful today that we can come to this place of worship this morning, that we can without fear, without reservation, truly with all of our heart, worship you. That We don't have to be worried or intimidated that we have these great freedoms because of your great love for us. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray that as we think about this passage of Scripture, that we would look on these things that you call commendable, that we can see that these things are truly of grace that are reflective of you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you'll open our hearts to your word today, that as it falls on our heart, that the soil of our heart would be good. And that it would take root and bear fruit. Father, we're thank, so thankful for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as Peter writes these things about commend, being commendable or these things of grace, that you'll find that what he's writing to the believers about is really seated or it's couched in the idea of suffering. Uh, you know, have you ever wondered, maybe like I have from time to time, maybe even like yesterday or today, uh, you know, that question is, does it always have to be so hard? Have you ever th- thought about that? You know, when you set out to do something and it gets to be a struggle and you're thinking in the back of your mind, uh, why does it always seem to have to be so difficult? But yet in those difficult struggles, we find some of our, our greatest education and growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ is that it seems the more difficult it is, the stronger we get in our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Peter reminds us that that grace flourishes often in times of persecution, suffering, and tribulation. We not only understand the grace of God toward us, but we in our suffering or our struggles or our persecution can even reflect in a brighter, stronger way the grace of God that lives in us. And so as believers, we ought to understand or we ought to take note that these times that we're up against it, that we're having a difficult time, may be the very time that God's going to use us to shine forward His grace to other people in their lives as well. Well, What does that look like in a practical way? Let me just share some things with you. I think that Peter tells us this morning in this passage, there are things that are commendable for us. First of all, one of those things I think that he brings forward is the fact that uh, there's this need of being convicted, not convicted of our sin, although we need to be convicted of our sins, but living a life of our convictions. In other words, we ought to live what we believe, that if we believe that Jesus Christ says this, that we ought to live that out. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He's the only hope for our nation in this world, then we ought to live like that. If we believe that Jesus Christ one day is going to take us to be with Him in heaven, then we ought to live based on that belief and that conviction. Now, you know, for, for that particular conviction or belief, if we believe we're going to heaven to be with Jesus Christ, then living that out ought to be joyful, shouldn't it? I mean, we ought to be happy even in hard times in difficult times because we know Where our future is, our citizenship is in heaven. We look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All those things are a hope of the Christian faith. And they ought to be such of a conviction to us that we're celebrating the life that we live, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. And so he's talking about living out our beliefs or our faith. Listen to what he says. He says, Servants, be submissive to your masters in all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What's he saying? He's saying in the context of struggles, persecution, difficulty that we ought to be living out what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's none of us that have a perfect life here on this earth. There's none of us that don't face our own struggles, our own uh, hardships, difficulties in life. We all do. Every family. I know our church family very well. And I know that every one of you guys in some way are facing challenges, difficulties, struggles, uh, hardships, and yet we're not exempt from those things just because we're saved. We've become a Christian. And so Peter reminds us, though, but to live those things uh, based on our what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here he's referring to those in, in ancient times that uh, were slaves and indebted to certain masters. And he says, listen, if you're in that position, you become a Christian, what, what uh, Jesus says or what the Word of God says to do is that, you, you know what, we ought to make the most of it, that we ought to be submissive, even if our, our situation is a good one or a difficult one. Uh, and, and that's what God has called us to do. And so we live the circumstances of our life, whether they're difficult or they're struggles, uh, the, the very best in faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? Well, one of the things that uh, I, I want to uh, uh, talk to you about this morning, about being living our convictions, is the idea that one, one of the necessities for that is to, be, is to have an awareness of God. In other words, if we're not living our lives every single day, and in the reality of the presence of God, then we're going to struggle in our struggles. We're going to struggle with our convictions. When God calls us to live out a certain truth and a principle in our life, if we're not certain that God is with us, then we're going to struggle living that very thing out. Uh, There's an awareness that we should have always, constantly, of, uh, of God and our relationship with Him. What does that look like also? Well, there's awareness of His presence with us. We ought to be confident that God's always with us. That there's never be a time that He will not be with us. In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, power is about to shift from Moses to Joshua. Moses is at the end of his ministry, and Joshua is about to take up the helm of leadership uh, of the nation of Israel. He's about to lead this rebellious nation uh, across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They were going to claim... Uh, and possess what God had promised them to do. And in that transition of power and authority, can you imagine what an uncertain time that must have been for Israel? Because for 40 years plus, they'd been following Moses' leadership. Moses had led them through the wilderness. He'd saw a generation die that had refused to go into the promised land. This was the younger generation. that would grown up, but the only leader they'd ever known was Moses. Now Moses was speaking to the nation of Israel and he was telling them, listen guys, I'm not going to be able to enter into the promised land. My my leadership stops here on this side of the Jordan. And the new leader is going to be Joshua. God's told me. And in telling Israel about this very thing, listen to what the Lord says through Moses. He says, in the Lord, He is the one who goes before you He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear, be dismayed. God was saying to the nation of Israel, it's a transitional time. You've never seen a time like this before. But yet God is the one who goes before you. He's with you. Don't be afraid. Think about that just for a minute, about the presence of God. He's in our future because... He's the one who goes before us and He's in our present because He's the one who's with us and really He's been in our past because He was the one who went before us before we were at the place right now. So in a sense, God's presence envelops us and He keeps us and will never be at a place or face a struggle that God is not present. Now, when we begin to look at that, how does that help us living out our convictions? (laughs) Because we have help. And God is with us. Be aware that God is with you. Not only that, the awareness of His presence, but when you think about it, how about the awareness or be aware of His preference for you? (laughs) You say, well, Brother Mike, that's pretty arrogant, isn't it? That that you can say that God prefers you. Listen, I, I just take God as His Word. I don't know why He does it. Uh, but yet, God loves His children. As a father, I understand it. Grandfather. That there is kind of a preference for your children. In your life, right? Any parent says, no, there's not. I want to challenge you. Honesty. Live in your convictions. If you say that. But there's a preference. Listen to what the Scripture says. Because you see, every, the struggles that, that we go through, God is there and He favors us. And Nehemiah's time when uh, the Jews were coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city of Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it and the Babylonians had reigned and then now the... the uh, uh, the uh, Assyrians are in control, and so they give permission to the Jews to go back to to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And one of those leaders was Nehemiah, and so Nehemiah got papers and he got permission from the king to go back, or Xerxes, to rebuild the temple or the walls, excuse me, of Jerusalem, and he organized the people. He began to call them to build and to work and to serve God, and they began to build the wall. If you remember reading the book of Nehemiah, that all through the process of rebuilding the wall, they were under constant attack. Uh, they um, uh, were under assault, and they were ridiculed, and uh, they, uh, in, their enemies tried to do everything to stop progress on the wall. And so all, all of a sudden, Nehemiah challenge the the nation of Israel or the people in Jerusalem to continue the build even during the battle. See, isn't that what God wants us to do? To, To continue to grow even through the struggle. And so Nehemiah says to the people, he says this, he says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So Nehemiah was saying, the people, if they attack us in this place, then we'll sound the trumpet and everybody comes together and we rally around together and God will fight for us. You know, to me, that's a picture of the church, isn't it? That as each of us as individuals, as we find that we're under attack, that we sound the alarm to our brothers and sisters in Christ And we come running in prayer and support. And God fights for us. God fights for us. Why? Because He prefers us for His children. I'm not trying to be arrogant. Just honest. That God is on our side. And that God battles for us in David's great fight with Goliath, the giant of his life. He said the battle belongs to the Lord. Well, not only should we be aware of God in the sense of His presence, and the sense of His preference, but also let me just say that we ought to be aware of His passion for us. God loves you. God loves you so much that Scripture says that He demonstrated that love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So God loves us. He he has a passionate love for us. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah talked about that passionate love. And he says that God loves us with an everlasting love. And God draws us to himself with that everlasting love. And so God loves us. So when we think about the awareness of God that he's with us, listen, his presence is with us. His his preferential treatment of us is with us every single day and His love is with us. And so when we go out and when we begin to live out our convictions in a world that's resistant to our faith and our beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to find it everywhere we are. We're going to find it in our community. We're going to find it in our country. We're going to find it in our family. There are going to be those who are going to fight against what we believe but yet, if we're going to resist and grow and stand and be faithful, it's going to be because we're aware that God's with us. Now, let me give you one other thing about this conviction thing as well. Not only is aware, the awareness of God, but also we have to understand there has to be agreement with God. In other words, our convictions have to be His convictions if, if, if this thing's going to work. Right? In other words, what, what God holds to be important what He values, what He instructs us, what He says right and wrong have to be our convictions as well. In other words, we have to be in agreement. With God, Amos says, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Can we really walk with God in harmony unless we're in agreement with Him? 1 John 1, one of my most uh, passages that I rely on as a believer is that If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word means to agree with. Confess means to agree with. It means to say the same thing. So when we're confessing our sins, we're saying the same thing about that sin that God says about it. And generally when I'm confessing my sins, I'm saying, Lord, that's wrong and you're right. And forgive me and help me to do your right and understand my wrong." Because we are in agreement with God. We agree with Him about our life. We agree with Him about those things that, that that are important to Him. Now, when we agree with God, let me just say this to you as well. There's some things that happen. If we find ourselves living in our lives in agreement with God, here's what's going to happen. It, it It sets us against comfort. In other words, we... <laughs> we're probably going to struggle just a little bit when we live in agreement with God. Jesus did. He lived His life in agreement with the Father and complete obedience to Him. And look what happened to Him. Peter tells us what happened to Him. Gives Him as an example. He was crucified. So we can expect that there's going to be things about living for Jesus Christ that aren't going to be comfortable. They're going to be difficult. I know I'm supposed to be encouraging you this morning, but I want to be honest with you also. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult to be a Christian and live your Christian life. It's going to set you against culture. And in today, it's going to set you against what seems to be the consensus in our society. Because the consensus is growing in the world and the generation that you and I live in today. That Christianity has no value. Jesus has no importance. And the word of God is irrelevant. Which is anything but true. So understand that. And also it sets, sets us sometimes in conflict. And so, but yet there's the need for agreement with God. If we're going to live out our conviction. So living out our conviction is something that's commendable. So it's an expression of grace as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a second thing that's commendable as well. Not only living out our conviction or being convicted about living for Jesus Christ, but also if you look at verse 20, it's being committed. Uh, That's a commendable thing. That's an expression of grace that we're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 20, For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So here's what Peter's saying. Listen, uh, the idea is that, that we're committed to uh, the process that God is working out in our life. So what Peter's saying, if, you know that we, f- we should face our struggles patiently. Or we should face our our struggles with commitment. And if we do that, then that's commendable. Now, if we're the author of our own struggle, right? In other words, if we shoot ourselves in the foot, if it's our own fault that we're suffering, and we do it with patience, that's no big deal. (laughs) I mean, we can look at it and say, well, I really deserve that. Uh, I, I really got, I had this coming to me. It's the consequences of my disobedience. But Peter goes on and Father says, here's what's commendable though. It's when you suffer patiently for something that you did that's right. He says, there is the commendable thing. In other words, when you're persecuted for living out your convictions then there's a sense of honor to that and commendability. You see, commitment requires perception. That we see things in the right way. There's value in being persecuted for being committed to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. Let me turn there and read it for you. He says this about the very thing about persecution. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says there's great value in being persecuted when we live our convictions for Him. Now, I want to tell you, even though we understand there's a great value in being persecuted, I'm not probably going to go out tomorrow and look for persecution. Uh, I'm not going to wear a sign and stand somewhere in a public place persecute me for Jesus' sake. But let me tell you, when I live for Him, I won't have to do that. Opposition will find me, and it will find you. But in that experience, there's great value because... Along with it comes the blessings of God in our life. So it requires perspective. We have to see it from God's point of view. Right? Not only that, commitment requires patience. He said it again in verse 20, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Some of us are short on patience. And God wants to develop patience with us. You know, how how does... How does that happen? Well, let me tell you what. If times are hard, let me give you some things. And uh, just about patience. You know, if things are hard and difficult and you're struggling just a little bit, one of the things about patience, patience doesn't gripe. I know, J.J., don't worry. Patience doesn't gripe. It doesn't say, I hate this situation. God never cares about me. He never thinks about me. He always puts me in these situations. It's always hard. That's like Israel, isn't it? They gripe the whole time they were in the wilderness. But patience doesn't gripe. Not only that, but patience doesn't glory. Sometimes, you know, we're being persecuted and we're just, oh, listen, I'm so wonderful. Because I'm enduring this persecution so patiently and, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, how, how I'm going through these things. And we give a list of all the things we're struggling with. And all of our virtue while we're struggling with those things. Listen, that's not patience. It's boasting. Patience doesn't glory. Patience doesn't gripe. And let me give you the last thing. Patience doesn't give up. But it perseveres through struggles. Peter reminds us about that very thing. So, being convicted and being committed are two commendable things. But there's one last one I want to share with you. and That's the idea of being called. That God has called us to relationship with Him. And that's a commendable thing. When we respond to that calling of God in our lives, that's a commendable thing. When we answer that call of God, not just to salvation, but to effective service in His kingdom. God calls you and I into salvation, relationship with Him. But that doesn't end there. It's not the end of our journey with God. It's just to come to Him and be saved. But that's the beginning of our journey. That's where it starts. That's the starting line. And yet that calling continues in so many different things. Listen to what he says in verse uh, 21. He says, for to this you were called. To what? To this life of service. To this life of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. to, To this life of manifesting things that are of grace to the world. That's what he's called us to do. To be his ambassadors. To be his representatives. To be his people on assignment here on earth. To answer that calling in our life. Listen, calling, first of all, it has expectation with it. That God expects, He says, for to this you are called. That that this is, Peter describes in this particular instance, is to suffering patiently for His glory and for His sake. Manifesting His strength in our life through, through our suffering. Manifesting God's grace in our lives through our struggles. Now, we're going to have struggles, but... The real issue is how are we going to respond to those struggles? Is it in faith and trust and confidence in Him? Does it reflect His presence in our life? If it does, then that's great. That's His expectation, is to have enough confidence in Him that that He will care for us in our times of persecution when we take our stands for Him. we're living in a time today that there's ample opportunities for us to to experience exactly what Peter's talking about. You might remember who he's writing to, the believers that have been scattered, the, the dispersion because of persecution. Believers that were leaving Jerusalem, believers that were leaving that area because of the heavy persecution going out into the world. And those believers that were being converted because of this dispersion of other believers and the persecution that continued in their lives as well has continued now for 2,000 years. And it's being inflamed in our nation today. And so Peter reminds us that there's this expectation. God has something specific for us in His kingdom. And if we don't find out what that is, if we don't bother to seek Him, for our place in His kingdom. And how can we expect to be commendable in His grace? Calling has expectation. Calling has an example. Well, look at the example. Verse 21 to the end. Verse 21. Uh, he says this. He says, uh, Leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. What's Peter saying? He's saying, look... If you don't know what this thing uh, of of expectation, uh, this thing of commendation looks like, then look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our example, verse 21, who committed no sin or his deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You see the calling, that we have example in Jesus Christ is first of all, it's consistent. I mean, Jesus was the same whether He was on the cross or whether He was in the meadow preaching the Word of God. He was consistent to follow what the Father had assigned Him to do. He he certainly was compassionate, compassionate. The Bible says He didn't revile. I mean, can you imagine being nailed to the cross and not be angry and revile those you might remember some of the words from Jesus as he was hanging on the cross "Where well, father forgive them for they know not what they're doing compassionate and then certainly Christ in his example to us is confident he says he did not threaten but committed himself to him he judges righteously Our Savior was confident in the one who'd sent Him, Heavenly Father, for this earth. Our example should be confident in the Lord Jesus Christ who sends us out in this world today. calling has an example, but also the calling has its expression. How does our calling express itself in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me just give you one word. Salvation. Salvation. That we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For we were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. What a beautiful picture of what salvation is. Returning to the one who cares for our soul. You see, Peter reminds us that there are things that are commendable. Things that express through our lives, The grace of God Almighty. One of those things is living our lives convicted for Him. It's being committed to Him with our lives. And then it's also answering the call that God has on our lives. Those things are things of grace. Bow with me this morning if you would. And we're going to pray this morning. Father in heaven, thank You today for the power and testimony of Your Word. Thank you for the love that you've demonstrated to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that He has called us to be convicted, to live based on what we believe about Him. To commit our lives completely to Him. And to answer that call where we fit into His kingdom. Lord, I pray this morning that you'll help us to think deeply about the Word scripture that we looked at this morning that we would see and be compelled to these things that are commendable these things that are expressions of grace lord we thank you for it in jesus name i pray amen i'm gonna invite you to stand this morning as we close our service today in time of invitation